we started Solo Stove about 2010 and we grew it as a lifestyle company. And then when it got to the point where it wasn't the lifestyle company we wanted, and then suddenly you're in these restaurants meeting with private equity groups and, you know, the waiters there kind of on the side waiting to take your order while you're talking to these guys about hundreds of millions of dollars. And it just seems so weird trying to get through this very complex transaction that involves a lot of lawyers, a lot of accountants, a lot of people pushing numbers and creating all sorts of Excel sheets, you know, the due diligence portion, the uncertainty that's happening, you know, what are they thinking? Are they saying what they're actually thinking? It becomes this kind of chess game where you don't really know what's going on, but you got to keep playing. This is Nigel Thomas. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is the Ecom Alphas podcast. You know, I've interviewed probably 36 to 40 brands on this podcast. Some of the most reputable brands in the space, eight, nine figure brands, and None of the episodes I reflected on as much as this one with Spencer Jan from Solo Stove. So he basically went from starting this company in his garage to have an evaluation of $2 billion within, I think it was eight years. And he then subsequently sold the company. He had a successful exit. He was talking actually about how he didn't even know how he was going to get through each week. And then suddenly he was there on the stock exchange ringing the bell. And it was just crazy. But he's actually talked about life after exit. He's talked about reflecting back why you should document that journey. And just so many things. The biggest one for me though was do what you need to do to stay in the game. And again, it was a great learning experience for me. I think you'll really enjoy this. Spencer's a fantastic person. Go check out his YouTube channel as well. Without further ado, let's just get into the conversation. Let Spencer speak for himself. And if you do enjoy it, please leave it a review and share it with one friend. With our conversation last week, it was strange because of these pre-show conversations, of course, are there for building rapport, but it actually gave me a lot of learnings and a lot of reflection because you seem to see the world in a different way to most. And I think obviously you're being on the other side of, you know, exiting a really successful company in this landscape really gives you that perspective. And I think that obviously that's a, a great reason why I wanted to bring you on, obviously hear your story. I'm grateful for your time. But look, without further ado, who are you, Spencer, for people who don't know, obviously the company you built and what you're doing right now? Yeah. So co-founder of Solo Stove, I started that with my brother. I like to just think of myself as just the average Joe entrepreneur. You know, I don't have a business background. I studied liberal arts in college, you know, worked, worked some day jobs and just kind of found my way into entrepreneurship. And I think most entrepreneurs actually do. I definitely didn't start out thinking I wanted to start a company and just kind of fell into it. So did e-commerce for probably the past decade, uh, have a background in, in product sourcing overseas and, uh, have a, have a small family of, Got two kids, one in high school and one in middle school, and married to my beautiful wife, and uh, and and park myself here in in the Dallas Fort Worth area. So that's kind of me, just in a little nutshell. And you're very humble there, Spencer, because you know you've obviously had a very successful exit with Solo Stove, and you know you were in there building that company for over a decade, right? You're right. Yeah. A near, near decade, probably a nine year run. Yeah. So, so was, was one of the many things we tried. And that's what a lot of people, I guess, isn't part of the story that's out there is we tried a lot of different things and we did a lot of different e-commerce. 
with a lot of different brands and um, most of them did quite well. Uh, it's just Solar Stove was the one that kind of grew legs and went crazy. Why do you think that doesn't get talked about? I mean, none of them were huge exits. You know, we kind of ran, let them run their course. Uh, we made the money that we could make off of them. Some of them were Amazon plays. Others just were good, just not good enough to kind of keep pouring our time and energy into it. The ironic part is they were successful in that we made millions of dollars off of these other brands that nobody's ever heard of. And a lot of that experience was what we used to build solo stove. But yeah, it doesn't get talked a lot about because like any other thing that's just mediocre, there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing grand. There's no big, there's no big like uh, struggle that leads to this, you know, huge climax of the story. And, you know, there's a lot of those stories out there and for sure solo stove is a great story. Um, but there's definitely a lot of building blocks and foundation that was laid by doing these, these other brands that we did and kind of fumbled our way as we learned what it means to own your own business and grow it. Yeah, and I I always find it interesting because obviously the statistic of 90% of businesses fail within the first year, when you look at that statistic and you look at most entrepreneurs, they don't usually hit hit the home run first time. So yes, 90% of businesses might fail first time, but if you don't quit, you should eventually crack it if you're smart and you connect with the right people. And I think people should see it that way instead of being so afraid. It's, you know, get stuck in. And like you said, you use all of those experiences, which in the moment seem like horrendous failures, but actually you're building that wealth of knowledge and understanding. And sure, maybe for some people, they would look at your journey and say there was some luck along the way. I'm sure you might say the same, but I think, you know, you make your own luck. I'm a big believer in that. And yeah, with that in mind, I'd love to talk about the exit. Because obviously a lot of people talk, you know, we can talk about the struggles in a little bit, but what is the exit like? What was that process like for you? You know, before this happened, were you considering it for a long time? Was there a lot of, you know, like back and forth in this process and kind of how did it all come about? Yeah, we we did plan for an exit at a certain point. We started Solo Stove about 2010, 2000. Mid 2010, I think we actually registered the company in 2011 and we grew it as a lifestyle company. And then when it got to the point where it wasn't the lifestyle company we wanted, that's when we decided, okay, it's not for us. Let's try to sell this thing off. Maybe we can make enough off of that exit to then give us the lifestyle we've always wanted. Maybe we could start another company. We just knew it was kind of at that point, at that inflection point where it was like grow into this company that we never really wanted or exit. We decided to exit and that was about 2016. And so we we kind of built it over the next two to three years from 16 to 19 to exit. And then we took it we took it to exit in 2019, uh, the fall of 2019. And so, yeah, that was a exit to private equity. And so that process is really a foreign journey to anybody who's never done it before. It's such a, it's a really odd, weird, to me it was, it was a world that I had never known about. And then suddenly you're in these restaurants meeting with private equity groups and, you know, the waiters there kind of on the side waiting to take your order while you're talking to these guys about hundreds of millions of dollars. And it just seems so weird. And it was never part of my reality prior to exiting. And so it was this odd, odd journey. But the more and the longer you kind of work through it and get your company ready to sell and do all the things that you need to do to get it you know, buttoned up, you start to understand that world and you start to understand what it takes and why they're doing it. And really, 
I relate it to selling a home because a lot of us have experiences buying and selling homes, whether it's our own or our parents or a friend's. It's, It's very, very similar to just flipping real estate. And so if you wrap your head around that, you can kind of get a, an idea that of how it works. It's very similar as, as how I think of it. I'm sure the people in private equity or the investment bankers are like, what is he talking about? This is like far from buying and selling a home. But to me, that's how I related it. Very, very similar to that. And what did you struggle with in that process? You said it was all foreign to you. What are the main things that you struggled with? Because again, through that, there's probably some great learning lessons. Absolutely. The I think the the hardest part was not knowing what you don't know. Like you don't know what questions to ask. You don't it was hard for me to understand how all the money flows and where's this money coming from and how much comes to me and how much goes into the company and is this is this considered venture capital or is this a leveraged like all these terms to me were also foreign. I did a lot of googling. Like a lot of like dumb question What's the difference between VC? What's the difference between private equity? How does private equity work? Like what happens after private equity buys my company? Like I would just Google everything and try to learn as much as I could. I think that was the hardest struggle was like, I just don't fully understand how this whole thing works. And um, and it gets very complicated very quick. And there's a lot of new jargon, like in e-commerce, which you know I spent a lot of time in. If I'm talking to somebody who's in construction and I start talking about all the marketing tactics and all the all the different you know acronyms that are associated to ecom. They wouldn't know what's going on, uh, and and the same way that uh, this you know it applies to private equity and kind of these guys who are in this finance world and just things were flying over my head. I was like, I have no idea what's going on here. Uh, that was that was a harder part of it. And then once you kind of get past that and get your dumb questions out of the way, another str- another big struggle just ends up being the grind of trying to get through this very complex transaction that involves a lot of lawyers, a lot of accountants, a lot of people pushing numbers and creating all sorts of Excel sheets. And that to me just isn't... Uh, isn't an area that's fun and enjoyable or I have a very high competence in and so, but you have to kind of slog through it all. And so that's why a lot of people say the process is just really not pleasant, you know, the due diligence portion, the uncertainty that's happening, you know, what are they thinking? Are they saying what they're actually thinking? Are they saying one thing and thinking another thing? It, it becomes this kind of chess game where you don't really know what's going on, but you got to keep playing. And you hopefully come out of it uh, on the right end of it. And, and gratefully, we we did. Yeah. And obviously, from their side, they know that. They know that as a new, you know, a founder coming into this, not gone through that experience before, that those mind games are what are going to keep you up at night. And obviously, they play that game, don't they? So for anyone who's not been through that process, I definitely haven't. How do you cope with that kind of anxiety and pressure? Because I can imagine that's just a, like all these nine years you've been dedicating, sacrificing your life for this one thing. And then, yeah, I, I can't imagine what that must feel like. How did you, you know, ultimately get through it? Yeah. And, and, and just to clarify, like, I don't, I don't think our, the, the, the private equity groups who bought us were playing any malicious games with yeah, us. I yeah, don't know. Yeah, sure. That's just me putting tag on people, but yeah, and I think in in my mind I did obviously have doubts. It's much like dating, right? When you first date a girl, what is she thinking? Like, does she like me? Does she is she just saying that? Does she say I look 
nice, uh, you know, the clothes I'm wearing looks good, but she's thinking another thing. Like you just, you start playing in your head and that can become a kind of scary place to kind of just sit in your own echo chamber and, and think through your thoughts. Uh, but it was very real. Uh, and luckily I had my brother who was my, the co my co-founder. So we founded the company together and we had each other. And I think that was a, a very critical part of, of building this company, not only going through exit, but all the, all the ups and downs. It's so much better with somebody by your side and somebody who's aligned with you. And I know many people shy away from having a partner or a business partner, but I think when it does work, it's amazing. And, and one plus one equals 10 at that point, you know, if you can get to that, that scenario, it's definitely helpful. And so we had many sleepless nights, many late night calls with lawyers and amongst ourselves and just talking through everything. And if I was by myself, I don't think I would have made it. I honestly think I would have just broke down and like, you know, I don't know what would have happened, but having having my brother by my side, I think, and vice versa, I think we we got through it together, and that was that was awesome. So tell me, Spencer, what was that moment like between you and your brother when you had the green light and you found out? You know, dotted line, it's done. What was that like? Yeah, you have this. You have this. They call it a closing call, and everybody gets on the phone, and and everybody's lawyers are representing everybody on the phone, and the lawyers kind of lead it off and everybody says thanks what a great journey blah 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 and then uh you kind of release your signatures and it's all done and finalized and then the wires hit that afternoon it's i'll tell you what it's 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 like after you've either spent a whole day outside like hiking a mountain or having an exhausting like day on the lake fishing is how i kind of relate it to or maybe you just ran a marathon and when you cross that finish line it, it's it's nice but it's more of a sigh of relief and a more of just a Boy, I'm glad that's over. And, you know, nobody's shooting off fireworks. The confetti's not falling, at least for us. You know, when we did it during COVID, right, we exited um, the the end of 19 where it was a little, it was a little bit locked down and, and there were things going on. And so it, it wasn't as, you know, we weren't all together in a room. It was just actually me and my brother in his house. And we were just kind of on this, you know, we just had our, our the conference call on the phone, on speakerphone, and it was done. And then we said, that's it it's done. <laughs> and so it was kind of anticlimactic, but nonetheless, it was a very big sigh of a relief for us. Makes sense. Now, Michael Phelps obviously talks a lot about his depression with the Olympic syndrome and the fact that when he's in the trench there, he's training every single day, like, you know, for six years straight. And then he comes out of that tunnel mindset. Another guy I can think of, Dorian Yates, who's a bodybuilder, who literally for six years won the Mr. Olympia every single year. And he just dedicated his whole existence to bodybuilding. Yeah. When he came out of that, he was extremely depressed and just didn't really know where to go in his life because he's just been focusing on this one single goal forever. And one of the reasons why I wanted to start with this topic is because when we spoke last time and I said to you, Spencer, have you got the itch? Have you got the itch to go back into different businesses and build something new from scratch? You said to me, no. And, you know, you, you seem very at peace with that understanding that you're enjoying your lifestyle and you don't need to go back to that way of life. So again, for, for some founders who might potentially struggle with that exit, you've done it very successfully. Could you talk through that process, maybe what the mental shift was after finishing, after the exit and how you kind of came into your life as it is today? 
Yeah, I think something that's always grounded me was just for me, to be honest, it's it's just faith. It's just my my belief, my kind of eternal perspective on life. I, I feel like I know, you know, where I came from who I am and where I'm going and that kind of eternal perspective in a, in a Christian setting and kind of mindset helps me kind of put perspective on things. And while I love business and working in it and and I had a lot of fun and I learned a lot, I think I've always known what's important to me in life. And you have to put food on the table at a certain point, right? You have to take care of your family financially. You have to meet obligations and be a responsible father, you know, a husband and, and, and do the work. And that was enjoyable. It wasn't by any means, it wasn't not enjoyable. I, I enjoyed it. But coming out of it, I always knew that there were more important things in my life that I wanted to focus on. My health, my spirituality, my family, you know, my social life, and you know, the intellectual side of, of life as well. And so always challenging myself. I always felt like while entrepreneurship and building a business is can can fill some of those buckets, by no means is it the only thing that can fill those buckets. And kind of like a Michael Phelps or a bodybuilder, like you were mentioning, I'm sure that they learned a lot of things as they went about their craft. And I think when we have these seasons that change in our life, we come out of it and the natural instinct is to like turn back to what we know. Right. Michael Phelps, maybe he wanted to turn back and keep swimming in the Olympics or the bodybuilder wanted to go back and just keep winning you know, his competitions. And I think entrepreneurs, at least for myself, I'll speak for myself, is it is that natural instinct. You quickly start to turn around and be like, well, that was my identity. That's what I did for so long. That's my muscle memory. I'm good at it. I should go do it. I think the difference with me is I kind of felt like there's so much more out there other than business, other than entrepreneurship, that I just don't want my identity to be just solely wrapped up in that. And I wanted to push myself beyond it. And I know it's probably a bad analogy. I'll probably get, you know, it's probably not some actions, but it's like Shawshank Redemption where people lived in, you know, those, those old timers were in jail for so many years and that's all they knew. And, you know, my brother was kind of telling me this analogy and I think it, it resonates with me in that when they left, when they got out of jail, you know, the old guy, he couldn't, he couldn't cope with life outside of jail because that's all he knew. And so he ended up hanging himself and then when Red got out of jail, he kind of struggled with the same things. It's just how do you how do you reinvent yourself when when all you know is what you've been doing for the past however many years? But for him, he found purpose and a mission to kind of, you know, help him move forward. And I think as I've navigated post-exit life, it's more so that is knowing that that was a great journey. But there's so many more journeys ahead of me that don't necessarily involve or require me to build a business that gets me excited uh, and and gets me going. And so, you know, I, I I just I don't have a huge drive to start another business. I feel like I did it and kind of conquered that challenge, and it was fun and exciting, and I did it with great people, learned a ton. Now how do I take those learnings and kind of move on to whatever's next and, and, and live a life and kind of create this life that I'm now blessed to because I'm, I don't have to really worry about the financial side of it. And so I'm not having to think about that. And so setting that aside, what can I do and what can I go about doing to kind of fill the buckets that I feel like would, would create a fulfilling life. Um, so that's kind of how I've navigated and thought about it. Yeah. And what are those buckets for you looking into the future now? Yeah. For me, I've kind of simplified it just down to just my physical well-being, uh, taking care of my body, taking, you know, taking care of my health, making sure I'm not sitting 
for 15 hours a day like I used to. Hey, why have you got a stand-up stand up desk, Spencer? Oh, yeah, I do. We did. I have a stand-up desk and I did have a stand-up desk. It's just, you know, there's, there's, I, I like to be active. I like to get out um, and move around. So the physical side of things is important. The spiritual side of things for me is important. So spending time there. The the social side of life for me is important. So so being around good people, spending time with, with my kids, spending time with my wife, spending time with friends, and just building relationships and spend, being deliberate and taking time and doing the work to nurture those relationships because they all require work. It's by no means play, right? It's, it, it requires work. Um, and then the intellectual side, which I think for me, the entrepreneurial side of things kind of fills that bucket, right? The business side of things has always filled the intellectual bucket for me. And so with that wide open now, I can now spend more time reading books on subjects that I'm interested in or meeting other entrepreneurs. Um, I played golf yesterday with some guys that I met and then they added me on LinkedIn and, you know, set up times to go um, have lunch and talk about the businesses they're building. And so there's, you know, the, the constant learning and challenging and finding new hobbies to kind of, you know, scratch that itch on, on learning something. That's another bucket. So I just kind of stay in those four buckets and, and try to fill them. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe in 10 years time, we'll be standing here doing another podcast and you will have found an opportunity, which you just can't resist, but let's see how that one plays out. Well, I'll have part two coming to you at the end of this week, start of next week. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Part two, there's a lot more value bonds in there. Trust me. Spencer's just open, honest, and very interesting human being with a unique set of ideas. I love it. Stay true to yourself. We'll be back next episode.